Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Welcome to my September uh, construction webinar. Uh, my name is Tashia Rasool. I am a partner here at Lois Law Firm. Um, I head up the construction defense practice group here. And um, for those of you who have been following me along for the past uh, year and a half or so, uh, as you know, I hold a monthly webinar where every month I discuss a different topic um, as it pertains to the defense of uh, workers' compensation claims that arise out of construction accidents. Um, this month, we're going to talk about global settlements. Uh, so one of the goals of global settlements is to reduce exposure. So today, we're going to talk about settling workers' comp and general liability claims at the same time. And we'll also talk about how global settlements reduce exposure. At the end of our discussion, there will be a live Q&A. You can type your questions into the box that look like this. And hopefully they'll pop up on my end and I'll be able to provide you with an answer. All right, so let's get into it. Let's do a quick recap on du dual jurisdiction claims. So if this is your first time here at one of my webinars, uh, one of the things that I've been focusing on, actually the main focus is joint defense of workers' comp and general liability claim. And the reason is the construction accidents, the construction claims that we see, they usually are from a, um, or arise on a project that is a wrap-up project, meaning it's either an OSIP or a CSIP, and there's a common owner or contractor insurance carrier. So it's important to defend um, these claims jointly. It really does save clients uh, a lot of money. It reduces exposure. And so that's been really the focus of my webinars and how to go about doing so. So as we know, the claimant can bring both a workers' comp and a general liability claim. The general liability claims are usually referred to as the third-party claims. Um, in the wrap-ups, there's a common owner and usually one carrier. The one carrier still plays two roles, interestingly, the workers' comp carrier and the general liability carrier, and that's because they administer the claim separately. The claims really remain uh, a separate, um, only until the very end, if there's a global settlement, then there's um, some kind of a, a joint agreement as, how, as to how to resolve both claims. And just so you know, and we'll talk about this a little more in this uh, this presentation, but lien recovery is still applicable even though it's the same carrier. And it's applicable because the claimant technically has a third-party claim and he has been receiving workers' comp benefits, which would create a lien. All right, so let's get into it. Now, for those of you who have joined me before or have seen our emails, in November, I will be doing a very special presentation in Kelly, Burns, and Bissell. This is our very favorite topic. Um, but it, in order to address global settlements here today, I do want to go over a couple of things because it's important in understanding Kelly, Burns, and Bissell in calculating potential exposure in order to determine whether a global settlement is feasible, which almost always is the case. So, um, Let's first start with Kelly. What exactly does the case of Kelly stand for? So there are two potential benefits from settlement of third-party actions or GL actions, general liability actions. I'm gonna use those terms interchangeably. 
the reimbursement of the current lien, which is the indemnity and the medicals that have been paid on the claim. And the second is where the workers' comp carrier would be responsible for ongoing benefits. It can take credits against those payments until the third party uh, settlement is exhausted. So those are the two ways you can recover under the, uh, the Kelly theory. Burns, this is the one that we hear ever so often, and we're gonna take the, the, you know, the Burns credit, the Burns calculation, the Burns payment. What exactly does this Burns case stand for? So Burns outlines how calculations are made when the future benefits are speculative. I, I always get tongue-tied with that word, my apologies. So speculative means they cannot be definitely determined at the time of settlement, of course. So for example, temporary ongoing benefits, permanent partial disability benefits, reduced earnings benefits. And the reason is these can easily change. So temporary ongoing benefits, the rate can change. Uh, the same with... Um, uh, reduced earnings benefits. If the claimant returns to work, then he's no longer um, entitled to reduced earnings benefits so long as he uh, returned to his pre-injury wages. So this is where Burns comes into play, and it really applies to most of the claims that we actually see. So benefits are calculated on an ongoing basis under the, the Burns theory. The claimant's going to continue to receive payments at a reduced rate using the Kelly formula, and the payments are going to continue until the claimant's net settlement is exhausted. Um, after the Burns payments are exhausted, uh, which means that the net settlement is recouped by the workers' compensation carrier, then full payments will resume under the workers' compensation claim. So, for example, if the net uh, third-party proceeds are um, recouped, uh, let's say in five years, after five years have elapsed, um, the workers' compensation carrier will start resuming payments at the full rate again. We hardly ever see this because of the global settlements. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go into that a little more in, uh, after a couple of slides. So Bissell. Let's talk a little bit about Bissell before we get into um, more of how the global settlements work. Bissell pertains to the payment of medical treatment. And what it stands for is the workers' compensation carrier would be liable for its equitable share of costs in future medical treatment. So this is something that cannot be calculated ahead of time. It cannot be calculated today or tomorrow because it all depends on how the claimant treats, right? A lot of times we see after there's a permanency finding, the claimant stops treating, um, it wouldn't be, you know, it, it, it would kind of like dwindle, or after the claimant has received his big third party settlement, because as we, as we know, he treats to really um, increase the value of his third party settlement. After that, the treatment goes down. So it's really hard to place a, um, a, a number on future medicals. So, the, so under Bissell, the carrier pays for treatment as it's incurred. Um, so that way you're not overpaying for the treatment. The, the claimant would generally pay for it and submit the bill to the workers' compensation carrier to get reimbursed. All right, so that's it for Burns, Kelly, and Bissell. When I do the webinar in November, I'll go through in detail how exactly to calculate it. Um, right now, I just wanted to remind you all as a part of this webinar that it's important to be aware of your exposure 
under these calculations because when you're crunching the numbers to determine whether to do a standalone workers' comp settlement or a lien waiver or a Section 32 and a general liability settlement, um, you should be using the Burns calculations, the Kelly calculations, because that's what it would be if the claim remains open and your payments were to continue. So consent to settle GL claim. Something to keep in mind, even though in pretty much all of the wrap-ups, most of the wrap-ups, the, um, the workers' comp carrier and the general liability carrier, it's the same. Even though it's the same, the, there, there must still be settlement to the general liability claim. So this is governed by workers' compensation law, section 29.5, and it requires a carrier's written consent for a claimant to settle his third-party claim and still receive workers' comp benefits. If the claimant does not seek workers' comp uh, consent, uh, he, he, he will technically not be entitled to any further workers' compensation benefits. So we haven't really had, I haven't really seen an issue where the claimant's attorney forgot to request consent or just failed to request consent. And also in the general liability situation, since all the parties are pretty much talking, um, consent, the, the, the consent is usually part of the uh, discussion regarding global settlements. Um, because of global settlements though, there's usually some contingencies attached to consent. And this is how we get the global settlements, right? So what are these uh, contingencies? The two main ones are a full or partial lien waiver as part of the global settlements. And the second would be a section 32 settlement, maybe for a nominal amount um, and doing the global settlement at the same time. So more often, I see clients are opting to do a full or partial lien waiver. And what exactly does this mean? It means that in exchange for a global settlement, that is a settlement of the general liability claim and the workers' comp claim at the same time, the carrier may agree to waive its entire recoverable lien or partially waive its lien in exchange for a Section 32 settlement. So instead of paying the claimant $100,000 on the, on the workers' comp side, close out the claim via Section 32, we'll say, okay, we'll waive our $120,000 lien. We'll just close out the Section 32, and that would be your compensation. The lien waiver would be the compensation. And it's usually, at least I usually include it in the consent letter. My consent letter is usually long and very inclusive, over-inclusive, to say the least. Um, it tells it tells everyone that we're consenting to the settlement under the following uh, conditions, and one of the conditions is in exchange for the full lien waiver or partial lien waiver, the claimant agrees to close out his Section 32 claim um, full and final, both the indemnity and the medicals. All parties are usually on board with this. The, where we run into issues is if the claimant has a different uh, workers' comp attorney, uh, or a different general liability attorney and they don't communicate, there's usually an issue with um, potential attorney's fees, but it's usually resolved when all of the parties are on the same page. Um, just keeping in mind also with the Section 32, we're not doing a Section 32 for a zero dollar. The Workers' Comp Board frowns upon zero dollar Section 32. So the way the Section 32 documents are crafted in order to pass muster by the board is that in exchange for the lien waiver, the actual consideration for the Section 32 
is the lien waiver or the partial lien waiver, um, the, the claimant has agreed to settle his, his workers' comp claim. Because let's just say we weren't doing a lien waiver or a partial lien waiver. When the claimant settles his third-party claim, he would have to pay back the workers' comp carrier, whatever the lien is, let's say $100,000. So then the workers' comp claim remains open. Then what are we going to do? Another section, like uh, another agreement where we pay the claimant $100,000 to close out his section 32. In doing the lien waiver, that's really the consideration, right? That's the money that the claimant's going home with, the lien, the, the, the actual recoverable lien that the carrier would have uh, gotten back from the claimant, but he's going home with it. So that's the actual consideration. So keep in mind, um, you might see that um, your section 32s are bounced back if it actually says zero dollar. The correct term and the correct way to do it is that in consideration for the full lien waiver or the partial lien waiver, uh, the parties are entering into the section 32. We've never had an issue with that. The second uh, contingency would be maybe there's not a full lien waiver or a partial lien waiver, but we're going to do a section 32 settlement. I'm currently handling one where there's really no lien because it's a denied claim. However, the parties have agreed to settle the general liability claim for a nominal amount, um, but we want to do a global settlement. The client has asked us to do a global settlement. So the way we've crafted the consent is that we're consenting to the settlement, but um, the claimant is also agreeing to a uh, Section 32 settlement as he's no longer pursuing the claim. So that's technically the consideration of the claimant's getting. He's settling his actual uh, third-party claim, and he no longer intends to pursue the workers' compensation claim. This is very rare. Um, we don't anticipate any issues with it because all the terms are spelled out in it. Um, but if we do, I'll report to you in my next webinar whether we've been successful or not. All right. So those are the two main contingencies I see that we handle in our um, uh, construction claims here. Um, those are the ones that the clients are usually discussing when it's time to discuss um, a settlement of the general liability claim. All right, so some best practices for global settlement. There are three different scenarios that we can find when it comes to uh, a wrap-up situation. There can be no coordination, which I frown on, because I think this is where the exposure is going to continue for the client and it's going to be more than it would have been for the other two options that I'm going to talk about. This is when the general liability claim um, settles and the workers' comp claim is still open and we do a standalone settlement and there's a lien reimbursement and Elwick finding and the case is just going on and on. The second situation would be where the cases are settling together and the workers' comp was resolving via the Section 32 with fresh money moving to the claimant. So we're not talking about a lien waiver or partial lien waiver. This is where the carrier is going to give the claimant, let's say, I don't know, 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, however much it is, in addition to closing out the, um, the general liability claim. The third option, which is the one that I see 99% of the times and which is the one that makes the most sense, in my opinion, is settling out the cases together uh, with a full or partial lien waiver and no fresh money moving to the claimant. This is the least complicated and it saves the client most uh, the, the most money. 
All right, so I'm going to black out for a while and I'll show you these little charts. Um, these are gonna be available after the webinar because I'm gonna go through them a little quickly. So uh, you can review them at a later time. So an example of a settlement where there's no coordination. Let's just say the carrier paid out $25,000 in medical and $25,000 in indemnity benefits. So that creates a, a total lien of $100,000. And then there's been an Elwick finding, $250,000 is the value. The claimant civil action settles for $1.5 million. We're keeping it separate here. So on the workers' comp side, uh, $30,000 goes to attorney's fees. On the GL side, $500,000 uh, goes to attorney's fees. Doing the calculations, it's a 33.3% cost of litigation. That's gonna be our burns rate. So the carrier gets its money back to $33,000 um, $33, uh, $33, reimbursement. And then the weekly uh, benefits continue, the, the LWEC payments continue at the burns rate. In a situation like this, uh, the total exposure for the carrier would be the $1.5 million plus the $83,000 and some change that are paid at the burns rate for the LWEC. We get this $83,000 by doing the Burns calculation, plus the unreimbursed uh, medical and um, uh, indemnity benefit costs of about $16,000. So it's going to be $1.6 million plus open medicals moving forward, right? And then the, the amount received by the claimant would be uh, just about... Um, over a million dollars plus medical is moving forward. So this is when there's no coordination. Everyone's just doing your own thing, which should almost never be the case. Here's an example of a settlement where the general liability and uh, the workers' comp are settling together. So same numbers, workers' comp, medical indemnity, 25,000 each. And we're contemplating a section 32 uh, for let's say $250,000. This is not the, the lien waiver situation. Civil action settled for $1.5 million. Um, the reimbursement or the offset would be the $200,000 that the carrier would be getting, right, from the um, from his recoverable lien because the section 32 is $250,000 plus the $50,000 from medical indemnity. So the carrier would get $200,000 back. The exposure by the carrier would be the $1.5 million plus the $100,000 um, that was deducted from the reimbursable lien and no future medical exposure. Everything's going to be closed out. And the total received by the claimant is $1.1 million, which is more than um, he would have, uh, which is more than he would um, get if we we're doing like a standalone settlement but he, here he's not getting future medical exposure. But we don't really care about what the claimant's getting, right? We're talking about the exposure to the client. The final situation here, um, which is another great alternative, here's where there's a general liability uh, settlement with a section 32 with a lien waiver. So same numbers, but the carrier is waiving its entire lien in this situation. So, the expense of the, uh, the, the exposure to the client would be the $1.5 million um, plus the, uh, the waiver of the reimbursement, which would be um, 
really $100,000 um, that the, the, the carrier is paying and then no future medical exposure. So like the, the previous scenario, this one is also very beneficial to the client because um, less money is being paid to the claimant and we're closing out the future medicals, which can be hundreds of thousands of dollars if the claimant's intent, if the claimant intends in undergoing surgeries and you know being on medication for the rest of his life. And here the claimants would get about uh, $1,100,000 also. So the last two of these are the ones that I would recommend. And it really requires collaboration between um, the General Liability Defense Council and your Workers' Comp Defense Council. That's usually not the issue because under the wrap-up uh, program, um, you know, the parties are always communicating. There's a set protocol for reporting to each other and so forth. The issue is usually when uh, the claimant's general liability attorney and the workers' compensation attorney are not communicating. So whenever I can, I would step in, I would reach out to the workers' comp attorney saying, hey, my client is thinking about this global settlement. Would you be on board? It seems like your client's on board because his GL attorney is saying that he is. And it's usually worked out um, and, and the global settlement can be achieved. So some practical advice for the global settlement. Consider whether an MSA is necessary. We should be doing this for Section 32 standalone settlements, um, even for like non-construction claims anyway, or if, the, or if the claimant just doesn't have a third-party claim. I would strongly recommend considering having the MSA done on the general liability side from the claimant's GL proceeds. This will save you money. Also, when the MSA is necessary, be mindful that on the GL side, the attorney's fees are calculated using the MSA included. On the workers' comp side, um, they're not uh, because they can only take a fee from the indemnity portion of the settlement. So it's usually more beneficial to the attorneys in the general liability side. They, they, they get a bigger fee, essentially, and it's less uh, worry and hassle for you as the, the insurance carrier, as a client, and you don't have to worry about getting the actual um, CMS approval. If it's necessary, the claimant usually does that, and the claimant would fund it from his third-party proceeds. And just in case you're wondering, for the purposes of uh, CMS requirements in Section 32s, once you include language in your Section 32 that the MSA has been addressed and that the claimant's going to fund it through his third-party supplements, that's sufficient because the claimant has set aside the money for any future payments. It doesn't have to come from the workers' comp side. So keep that in mind. It's not going to be issue on the workers' comp side. All right. So that's it for global settlements. Um, today was just a, a, a quick overview. There's really not much to it. I think the meat and potatoes of determining whether a global settlement is beneficial is doing the calculations using the Kelly Burns Bissell calculations. Every case is going to be different um, depending on the, the nature of the accident and how old the claim is and how close we are to permanency and really just what the client wants to do. But I'd recommend doing all the calculations using Kelly Burns Bissell and use it as the basis of your negotiations. Uh, look at the future medicals. You can do an internal cost projection to tell you what the future medicals would be. Um, get an IME to comment on, on treatment and future uh, 
uh, prescription drug use, and that way you'll have a better idea of what, the, what it's going to cost you if you were to leave your claim open versus closing it out in a global settlement. And finally, I'd say definitely communicate and start the discussion early on. I think your workers' comp uh, defense attorney should be teeing up your case for settlement from the very first day, if you ask me, which includes all the things that we've talked about in, in um, defending and mitigating potential exposure. All right, so if you have any questions, go ahead and type them in now. I'll take a look in, the, in a second. But next month, we're gonna be here again, October 4th, and we're gonna talk about coverage disputes. We've had, we've seen a lot of cases this year where we've had coverage issues. I'm gonna talk about some of those. There's not a lot of third department case law on the issue. So over here, we're trying to make case law. We're trying to educate the judges what's right and what's wrong. But we'll talk about coverage disputes in, in wrap-up claims and OSIPs and CSIPs. And, um, you know, so if you have any questions um, as you're, you're working your files for the next month or so, definitely bring them to the webinar next month. And as I've been announcing for the past couple of months, I'll do a very special Kelly Burns webinar in November where I'll go into details, painful details about what these cases stand for and how to do the calculations and how they can help you and how to be um, really the, um, the expert when trying to negotiate settlements um, with uh, the, the claimants. The, the claimants. All right, so that's it next month. Uh, let me see if there are any questions. All right, so I don't see any questions um, here. If you think of something later, send me an email, give me a call. Uh, some of your emails have been getting stuck in our filters, so I apologize, I've been responding a little late, but as I keep uh, going through the filters, and seeing them, I will respond, but you can also give me a call. I'm happy to chat. Um, so I'll see you all next month. Thank you for joining me. It's always a pleasure.